Today's scripture reading is taken from Romans 12, 1 through 2, and Colossians 2, 6 through 7. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I want to take a second. I've been talking uh, in this vision series about practices, about the importance of practices. And that may have been abstract to you as I've been talking about it. I've been trying to get specific so you understand the power of practices, the importance of practices. And you may have noticed today, normally what happens, you would expect someone to say, please stand for the reading of God's word. Guess what? No one said it. But guess what happened? Everybody stood. You see, that's the power of practice right there. We have embodied this reality where every single one of you thought, this doesn't feel right. Why are we sitting when the Bible is about to be read? That's the power of practice. And you and I are formed by practices, either malformed in the wrong trajectory or transformed in the right trajectory. And so that was a perfect moment where I can point out that's an example of week in and week out being formed by something, by a practice. We are embodied people. And something started maybe in your chest or in your legs. This, I got to stand, I got to stand. And then, oh yeah, we're about to read the Bible. I stand. And then we reflect on why we stand. And it's because it is the word of God. And here at New City, we stand in, in honor of God's word, which is given to us as a gift. So thanks for doing that, Ben. I appreciate you or no one else saying stand. So that could happen. It's fantastic. As Ben did say, we are finishing up a series on vision. And I've had many of you over the weeks tell me that you've experienced this as a different type of vision series. I've chosen to take that as a good thing. I'm not sure if it actually is, but as I've asked, what do you mean by a different type of vision series? You all have rightly surmised that we've started at the DNA philosophical level, right? Four weeks ago, we started by talking about our vision. And we said our vision is to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about a biblical understanding of flourishing, which is that everything is in right relationship. First, we're in right relationship to God and then to self and then to others and all of creation. And then we move from that to saying, well, what are the, what types of people do we need to become in order to pursue flourishing? And we talked about this phrase, whole life discipleship. And we saw from Ephesians chapter four, that disciples aren't just people who've decided to make a change in their life. They're not just people who've decided to add some religion in their life uh, towards this self-righteousness or self-actualization process. We said that the Bible tells us that if you're a disciple, you're a new creation, that God has changed you by a spirit and that this work that he's doing in you is invasive work, that Jesus is the master surgeon who is precise yet invasive. 
and he's removing things and adding things in your life to make you, we said, more human. Because the goal of discipleship is for you to be a restored image bearer. You were created to be a human. You're being restored to being fully human. And we said, really, we should be able to just say we make disciples here. But because discipleship, especially in the West, has been truncated to a view of you know, maybe a classroom or a book or a spiritual discipline or two, because that's happened and our view of discipleship has been so shrunken and truncated, we feel compelled to use the phrase whole life discipleship to remind us of the pervasiveness of God's invasive work in our life. And the last week, we, we talked about the type of environment that needs to be necessary in order to produce whole life disciples. And we said that New City must become a greenhouse for equipping. We talked about last week that we might use the language that someone like me, a person who preaches or a pastor, maybe someone who goes to seminary, that they're choosing to go into the ministry. The reality is there is no such thing as a group of people in the church that decide to go into the ministry as though there were a group of people who weren't in ministry. But in fact, we saw also in Ephesians 4 last week that my calling is unique only insofar as my role is to make sure that you all are equipped for ministry. The pastor's role is to equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry, which is what the apostle Paul says. So I'm not the primary carer, I'm not the primary evangelist. I'm not even the most important person here. I just have a unique role as a pastor and all the leaders in this church to make sure that we create environments and opportunities where you are equipped for the ministry that God has called you to, both as the church gathered and as the church sent in your everyday life. And so then every Christian is in ministry. Every Christian is a minister. And this morning, I have this opportunity to do another flyover of a lot of the things we've talked about, but we're going to have a lower altitude this morning. We're going to come down more towards the ground, and we're going to talk a little bit about what are the types of things that we're already doing that are enabling us to be an equipping congregation, and what are a couple of things that we need to add in this next season in order for us to become a more effective place for God to equip his people for ministry. And if we're going to talk about practical things, if we're going to talk about tomorrow morning at this time types of things, then I need to start off at a fundamental place. And that is this, this morning when you woke up and every morning when you wake up, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you are in a daily battle for your imagination. You may not think of yourself as a very imaginative person, but something is driving you. Something is pulling you towards what you will do tomorrow. Something is pulling at your affection. Something is pulling for your allegiance. And you got to figure out what that is day in and day out. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to say one sentence, which we're going to unpack in two points from two passages. One sentence, two points, two passages. And here's the sentence. I want us daily. When I say us, I mean all of you and all who are a part of New City who are not with us this morning. I want us to daily offer our lives to the story of God and sink our roots deeper in Christ. 
I want us to daily offer our lives to the story of God and to sink our roots deeper in Christ. So first, to daily present our lives to the story of God. If you look at our passage, the first passage from Romans 12, you know that there were 11 chapters prior to this chapter. And in those 11 chapters, there's this grand sweeping theological recounting and interpretation of all that God's been up to in the world. That all the works that God has been up to in redemption and in creation. We saw it in Psalm 111 as well, that there are passages all over the Bible that will call our attention to the work of God in redemption, particularly now in Jesus Christ. But Romans 1 through 11, we find some of the most majestic language used anywhere in any religious writings. I mean, we, we find language uh, from Paul where he is striving to figure out what words to find. And in fact, he tells us all of these words fall short. Not only is this one of the most magnificent passages of all of God's works and who God is and what he cares about in the entire Bible, but in all of literature. And anyone who's taken up a pen or a quill or a typewriter or a keyboard to try to talk about what God is up to, Romans 1 through 11 is at the very top. And where Paul gets at the beginning of chapter 12, where he makes this turn with the word therefore, if you want me to sum it up, basically what Paul is saying is the only sane response to what God is doing is to offer your entire life to him. That's the only sane response to, to reality when you understand it properly is to give your life to him because to anything else is foolishness. It's, it's less than optimal. It's less than honorable to how you were created and it's foolishness to give your life to anything else. And he says that in light of all that God has done, we must give our whole life to him. If you look, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you ever heard me talk about this passage before in whatever venue we're in, I'm always quick to point out that this word bodies means all of you. It doesn't just mean your physical body. That would make no sense. It's not less than that, but it's all of you. And the context makes this clear because we're to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. And anything that is offered as a sacrifice is offered in whole, not in part, right? Uh, A sacrifice doesn't get to just choose to cut a part of its body off and say, here, take this. I want the rest of me. Offer that on the altar. No, a sacrifice must offer itself in entirety. And so when Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, He's saying that we are to offer ourself. And does this sound familiar, right? We've been talking about this whole life discipleship. I haven't gone and found my favorite passages that are obscure to define a ministry plan for New City. No, it's all over the place that God requires us to offer our entire selves to him. And so what we see in this passage, if we keep reading, is that to live in the world is to be formed. Right? This is what I'm getting at when I say every morning you wake up, you're in a battle of what you're going to present your life to. Right? The two options are, will you be conformed to the world or will you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Those are the options that Paul gives us. And if you look at this uh, to be transformed, it is a present tense verb, which means again, that it must happen moment by moment 
daily. You never are transformed one time and then it's done. At least not until Jesus comes back and makes it happen. Every day, day in and day out, we are in this battle. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, you will present your life to something. You don't have a choice. The choice you have is what will you present your life to? Your life is directed by many things. It could be directed by your to-do list or your calendar or what you happen to feel like that day, which might be the most dangerous of all. But you will wake up and you will do something. But every single one of us has to come to the realization that even before we choose to do something, even before we ask the question, what will I do today? We have to ask ourselves the question, what story am I in? The story you are living in is the framework that gives your life some type of meaning. And Paul's getting at this when he frames this out in Romans 12, 1 and 2 by talking about where the NIV makes this much more clear. It translates it this way. Instead of do not be conformed to this world, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? So the world has a pattern. That's another way of saying that there are certain structures to this world that we are conformed to. This, this word conform means, you could translate it, a mold. Think of like a cookie cutter or think of some type of mold that's cast in, in a die. You're forcing things into this mold. And that is a movement that is always happening around us. There is no static moment to your life. There's always a battle. And so Paul is saying, This pattern of the world is based on a particular narrative of the purpose of things, a narrative on where this is going. And so you and I have to choose what narrative we're going to be a part of. What narrative are we going to give our life to? Because the pattern is based on a particular story that answers questions like, what does it mean to be human? Or what is life for? Or what is worthy of giving my life to? Or what is the goal of parenting? or marriage, or living in this neighborhood, or choosing a career? What is the purpose of all of this stuff? You will answer that not mainly based on what you believe, but on what story you think you're living in. And the scary thing about this is that it's like the operating system that just runs underneath every decision you make. And so what Paul wants us to do is A, realize we're always being formed. To live, to be human is to be formed. But once we realize that, what are we giving ourselves to daily to be formed by? And he uses the word transformed. And so I want to read from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 12, 1 and 2, because I think it's fantastic. And this is how he paraphrases Paul's words here. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you will be changed inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. 
You see, Christians' lives are transformed, transformed as our minds are made new. And when the Bible talks about mind, it doesn't mean merely cognitive. If only it were that simple. If only I could get you to believe new things. And that was it. And that was all God cared about. That would be the easy part. You probably believe the right things. But the, but the problem is there's a gap between what you believe and what you do. What you know and how you behave. Why is that? I mean, it's a perplexing question. Not just for Christians, but for all humans, right? Someone this morning was at Florida Hospital with pain in their chest. And no doubt, among the other things that the physician and all of the medical team told them, they said, you have to change your lifestyle. You have this presenting problem. And we're going to help you, but at the core, you have to change your lifestyle. And they're going to have a hard time standing up and walking to the car because their chest is going to feel like it's going to, going to squeeze the life out of them. And they're going to go home and light a cigarette. They will have just gotten out of the hospital and they will light a cigarette. And they'll call an ambulance next week and they'll be on oxygen when they get there and they'll be smoking a cigarette. I didn't make this up. This is a true story that someone just told me last week who's in healthcare. What is that? What, where does this gap come from between what we know and what we do? Well, the Bible speaks to this and there's no way we can tackle this all right now, but it certainly starts here. If we wake up every morning and don't present ourselves by the mercies of God to the story of God, we will be just like that. We'll know all the right theology and we'll live like unbelievers. We'll live like we're building a kingdom for ourselves and we'll do all sorts of really helpful things and good things, but it will all be for our own kingdom and our own righteousness. You see, we tend to think of massive things we want to do for God. We want a purpose, right? We, we want a passion. Well, maybe you can start, as someone told me last week, make Jesus your passion. Start there and then see what happens after that. Wake up tomorrow, get on your knees first thing and just say two seconds, three seconds, everything in me wants to live my life for myself. It's always good to start with honesty. So you could say something like, everything in me wants to live my life for myself. But right now, I'm choosing to present myself to you. And you know what the amazing thing about that is? Is that the only reason you would even say that is because God is already at work in you. That's why he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God that are already at work. And I just told you about for 11 chapters. So now present yourself in response to what God is doing. And these things don't happen in, in, in the massive ways. They happen in the mundane ways, right? Our lives can be transformed in this everyday, ordinary way that Eugene Peterson points to, right? And the reason that this transformation can play itself out in our everyday, ordinary life is because transformation in Christ is a restoration to what we were intended to be, remember? Jesus is making you more human. And guess what? Humans have relationships, Humans sleep, humans eat, humans work, humans worship, humans pray, 
Humans love and they give and they hope. These are all things that humans do, whether you're a Christian or not. The question is, what do you think about relationships? And how do you operate in them? And how do you interact with your emotions? And how do you think about sleeping? And how do you think about eating? And how do you think about work? And how do you engage your neighbors? These are the real questions, right? It's not like becoming a Christian makes you above being human. It just reshapes you into being the type of human that you were made to be, which is why transformation happens in everyday, ordinary life. So let's take a minute and let's talk about those three things, three of the things I just mentioned. You can start with relationships, right? Relationships, if we're conformed to the pattern or the story of the world, tells you that it's mainly transactional. And the benefit of relationships is what you can get for yourself. And you can give yourself as long as you're getting something that makes it seem worthwhile. And the moment that you're not, then you peace out. This could be in marriage. This could be in friendships. This could be in next door neighbor relationships. But if we understand the design for relationships that God has given us by creating us in his image as human beings, we realize that relationships in the story of God are central, that it's for the other. It's that we need one another. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. It's why it's called the body of Christ, right? Imagine a toe trying to survive without the foot or the foot trying to survive without the leg and you could keep going. And then there's, there's a whole system in the body that pumps blood that will never be seen. And every single part, Paul says, as we talked about last week, is crucial. And all of that happens in relationship, right? Some of us think relationships are, are dispensable, that they're optional, but they're not. They're central. We as human beings must be known, and that's a vulnerable place to be. We must be known and we must know. We must allow ourselves to be loved in community and we must truly love. And this is the call of fully human relationships. And guess what? In a fallen world, you will be hurt and I will be hurt. And there will be forgiveness and there will be repentance, but there must be relationship. There must be love. What about work? If we only think and view ourselves in the story or pattern of this world around us, work is mainly or only about your self-actualization, your self-fulfillment. But if we understand the reason God has created work and called us to work, we realize that A, he's the caller and he's called us to love our neighbor and to serve our neighbor through it. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't develop our passions and our desires and try to find work that fits those. I think that's a good thing. Insofar as we understand that it's not for us, that the end goal is not us, that we are conduits to our neighbor through our work. We're not cul-de-sacs of our own self-actualization and enjoyment, right? But, but if you've ever found yourself serving, it doesn't even have to be your occupation, but serving your neighbor, using your gifts in a way to serve others, you'll find that there is no more enlivening thing than that. What about sleeping and resting? We live in a culture that doesn't really care much about sleeping and resting because we really live as though we are infinite, right? We can always add one more thing. 
There's no margin, right? Always one more thing. I can do that. I can fit that in. I can do that. And we're running around like crazy. We have no space in our budget. We have no space in our calendar. We have no space in our emotions or in our mind to think about anyone else. Everything is so jam-packed. And as soon as something pops out or squeezes out, we put something else in, right? We're not comfortable with resting. And, it's, and, and God only calls us to rest one day out of seven. And we're like, yeah, that's insane. One day, a whole day. No, thanks. I have something to do. I got stuff to do today. We push back our finitude and we buy into the story of perfection and overwork that my identity is found in what I do. One of the main reasons the Sabbath was given to us is because it's a weekly reminder that when you stop, God is still working. When you stop, as Eugene Peterson says, you're just getting out of God's way for a day so we can actually get something done. And it's the same way when you sleep, right? You go to sleep because in the Bible, the day starts in the evening, not the morning. So you actually start your day. I start my day every day by sleeping. And is there a better reminder that we are not the Lord of our life, that we are not in control, that in fact, we can't control much. Really, we can't control anything. And so in these ways, at least, these basic everyday realities of relationships, work, and rest, we're being formed by a certain story. So whatever you're going to do the rest of the day, ask yourself, what story am I living in and why am I about to do what I'm about to do? Because prior to your choice of what you're going to do is the question, what story am I living in? You see, we will be conformed or we will be transformed these are our only options. And as I think about desiring this for all of us, as I think about desiring every day that we would increasingly present our lives to the story of God, I'm reminded that this is going to take training. This is going to take practice, right? What just happened when we all stood and we didn't even realize it because we've been trained in this practice of standing John Calvin, a reformer, said the church is a gymnasium, a training ground, a school, a community of preparation and practice for God's sanctifying and transformative curriculum. That's not a direct quote. I'm paraphrasing him. So if you you took notes and Googled that, don't call me a liar that he never said that. Okay, I'm paraphrasing him. Okay, this is why corporate worship matters. Right here. The church is a gymnasium that's training your practice. You didn't even know you were being trained until we all stood up. You didn't even know. And tomorrow morning, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna wake up and you're going to do something. And, and whatever you do is going to be based on how you've been training yourself. It's the way it works. That's why corporate worship matters. We all are being rehabituated right now. We're being trained by intentional and sacrificial engagement in corporate worship. It's a primary way that God changes us. Where else do you sing together except at a concert? It's weird, right? But it's training us. It's teaching us how we ought to feel. Where else do you sit down and listen to someone talk for 30 minutes unless you're at a TED talk, which is much better than this because they've been working on it for a year. This is why CBR matters, community Bible reading. The practice of offering ourselves daily to God must include meditating on his word daily. 
And how are you going to do that? The way we do that at New City is community Bible reading. And we do it together. And we wake up and it's not about being perfect. It's not about learning something new every day. It's about submitting yourself, the practice of submitting yourself to God and, say, and doing this and saying, I'm offering myself to you. I counted two times last week. The very first thing, if you look at our, at our journal, the first line says a prayer of surrender. Two times last week. And this is, this is a good week. If you're, just if you're wondering, this is a good week. Only two times last week. I started off by writing the prayer I'm tired and I want to be in bed. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm being honest. I'm not faking it. I'm not saying, I really want to do this. I really want to be here. I was tired. But I knew that God would meet me. And that's not always fireworks. And that's good for me. And that's good for you because it builds in us a virtue that is clear in the scriptures, but not in our culture, which is patience. God is not a slot machine. God is not Santa Claus. Be honest, surrender, and listen. That's why CBR is important in our day-to-day transformation. And this is why intentional community matters. You can't do this on your own. Intentional community pushes back on the pattern of this world, the narrative that says either I don't need people in order to thrive or I need people exactly like me in order to thrive. Those are the two options, the main options you have in the pattern of this world, right? Do you feel like your community has to be people exactly like you? That's not the body of Christ. Do you feel like you can do it on your own? It doesn't really matter. That's not the body of Christ. And so we need intentional community And we try to do that through community groups, which I'll say more about in a minute. But all of this is to say that I want us to daily present our lives to the story of God and what Paul is saying here in Romans 12. And the second thing is, I want us to sink our roots deeper in Christ. And here we pick up the middle of another argument. If you see the word, therefore, at the beginning of Colossians 2, Verse six, Paul's laying out a persuading argument to the church in Colossae, telling them that Jesus is Lord. And they were false teachers telling them that Jesus was a good start, but they needed to add more on top of Jesus, more spiritual experience on top of Jesus in order to experience this fullness that they desired. Fullness is a word you'll find a lot in Colossians. But I want to point out a few things here. And one is that two important things. They received Christ Jesus as Lord, right? If Jesus is Lord of your life, again, he has to be Lord of your whole life. There's not a part of you that he's not Lord of. And if he's Lord, the way that his Lordship will pervade every area of your life, the way you'll grow in him is a day by day, moment by moment, walking with him. You see it again, this present tense verb. So walk in him. Walk in him. And then Paul uses these, these images of rootedness and built upness. And so obviously rootedness points to the image of a tree. And Psalm 1, which Ben preached on recently in a fantastic sermon, calling us to the question of what will we be rooted in or will we be rooted? And Paul obviously is picking up on this imagery of rootedness. And then he builds on that with this idea of being built up both of which are talking about a firm foundation. You're either rooted or built on a firm foundation, but both of them are in Jesus. You're rooted and built up 
in him. And there's a way this happens. And there's something that this produces. And he calls it this, being established in the faith. Last week, we talked about being equipped in the faith. This morning, I want to pick this up and say, all of you, all of us need to be established in the faith. And there's a way that that happens. It's by walking daily with him and it's by being taught. That's what he says. Just as you were taught. And I think most of us, many of us at least, have never been established in the faith in any intentional way. You sort of came to Christ at some point. You may have gone to some Sunday school every now and then. You may have experienced some different things, but you've never been established or trained in the faith, which is the word he calls it. He doesn't say in faith. He says in the faith, which is this body of knowledge, this understanding, this belief that is strengthening and establishing. And at New City, we want to establish you and equip you in the faith, in community, and for your callings. We want to establish you. And so we will continue to refine community groups and make them increasingly beneficial to our plan of making whole life disciples. But we'll be introducing two new things over the period of the next months. Okay. And I can't talk a lot about them, but I want to close with them. Actually, I have two short conclusions after these. The first is we will be introducing for the establishing and equipping of our faith, Christian education. Okay. You notice that Paul says there's a teaching involved in Christian education. And I aim to provide a robust plan for Christian education that establishes you in the faith and equips you for your various callings. There will be a core curriculum that everyone experiences and it'll take two to three years for you to get through because you have a life and you have things to do, right? So we will equip you and establish you as you are going. Because remember, you never become established and move on. We're always being established, in the faith. And so you'll never graduate from the need to be taught and neither will I, right? There'll be a core curriculum and then there'll be various other intentional offerings for our various callings like parenting or marriage or singleness or business, law, medicine, marketing, you name it. These are all things that God cares about. These are all things that the faith informs. This is something that I believe needs to happen. It's something that's rare in the church. And the other thing that needs to be introduced is life on life missional discipleship. And this is groups of three to five people where you walk together for a year at a time, encouraging one another, learning with one another, praying with and for one another. And then each of you go find three to four other people and pour yourself into them. It's a culture and you have to start slow. You can't programmatically implement Life on life, missional discipleship. So it'll be a while, but it's coming. And I want you to know about it. And I want you to so long for it that you would sacrifice a lot to be a part of it. And you might say, I'm so ready and excited for this. I can't wait. And I would say, then find three or four people on your own and walk with them for a season until we can come alongside you. And if you're like, well, what are we going to do? Come talk to me. I have like 7,000 ideas. Okay. So these two things, on top of corporate worship and community groups, these are two other things that I really believe to have a greenhouse of equipping and establishing, we need these two things. And in conclusion, I'll say these two things. I'm very hesitant to add anything else to your schedule. Very hesitant. Because I really believe your primary ministry 
is not the church gathered, but it's the church sent. And so I'll be hesitant and I promise you that I will be thinking, the elders will be thinking of designing this ministry, these ministries in such a way that it is sustainable. And rather than having a view of a sprint, this is a marathon, okay? And yet it will cost you something. There are trade-offs, okay? I want robust Christian education. I want to be taught, okay, at what cost? Something else for a season, no doubt, will have to be given up. But yet, I care about you and I want this to work. I want this to fit. I don't want this to be one more program that's tacked onto your life. And the second thing I want to say is that these two new additions are for being rooted and built up in Jesus. That's it. That's the only reason. Okay? It's not because I want you to know more things. In fact, you might know so many things that it hinders you by walking in faith right now. I don't know. Sometimes that's the case for me. But the point of education is not merely information. It's transformation like Paul was talking about. Right? We live in a culture that often treats more education as a passport to privilege and a a way to justify not doing anything. But that's not what's going to happen. This is about formation. This is about transformation. This is about a formative journey. It's about being equipped with the faith for your neighbor through practices in community for your callings. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for all that you are doing at New City. And as we lean into a season of listening and faith, we ask that you would give us patience and give us excitement. And as you make us uncomfortable, please comfort us by your spirit that you are with us and that you are for us and that you will transform us as we behold you, as we engage new practices that form us in the story that you are writing, not our own story where we're the star and the supporting cast and the director and the author. Displace us from the throne of our lives that we may experience true life in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.